Here we go, Hour 3, Great Day for Talk Radio. It's Friday, long holiday weekend. <laughs> Can't hardly wait to get it started. I'm a little late to join the rest of the mob because it seems like everybody's gotten out of Dodge or they're uh, certainly on their way up to cottage country, many people. The traffic even started last night, yesterday afternoon, if you want to be given the uh, actual facts of that. But uh, here we are. One of these things where... Uh, the weekend looms, and of course, Friday means our buddy Cam's going to join us before the tail end of the program. i got to share with him this story that uh, a lot of people have talked about. I heard this at lunch. Actually, I was at uh, the Harbor 60 for lunch, and we were <laughs> debating whether we'd, uh, you know, Dover Sole or maybe, you know, a ribeye or something like that. And I said, make sure our fish are what they say you are. And, of course, Mr. Nicolau, he's uh, always very impeccable about the product he chooses you know, that's first and foremost, uh, doesn't cut any corn. I mean, you're talking about the preeminent steakhouse in the country, and the guy, uh, you know, he does source absolutely AAA right across the board. And so uh, that's, but not all, all places are like this. This story about the, the fish in these sushi places primarily, you know, that's why they proliferate, because they're feeding you garbage fish, right? You know, you're buying stuff all you can eat for, what, three ninety nine. Uh Tells you it might not exactly be ahi tuna, that is on that little bed of rice that the guy's compacted with his stubby, dirty little fingers and uncultured, manicured fingernails. But this is where uh, we have a, a topic of discussion with our boy Cam because uh, he's a shopper of some, what would we say, uh, renown? No. He's a picky shopper. But when it comes to this, I was just, I was repulsed by some of the things I was reading about this fake fish and uh, how about 80% in some cases are not what you think you're buying. But, of course, at the Harbor 60, you're always getting quality. They don't fool around. I mean, this is their mark and trade. You're getting the best, the absolute best in everything, setting, service, uh, the valet. And right across from where the ACC is now the Scotiabank Center uh, is, that's where they are. And, you know, actually, I've seen Drake in there on numerous occasions, but he wasn't wearing his Hells Angels regalia, which we'll talk about with our friend Cam as well, because this is something that surfaced that Aubrey might have crossed the line here, and uh, maybe it's going to sully his image. Who knows? But uh, as I say, we'll pick it up with Cam. On other matters of significance, I want to, oh, and I do want to say, the Harbor 60, make it an, an appointment, because this is going to be a great afternoon, evening, after a, a show, a concert, whatever, at the Scotiabank Arena. And with hockey soon to start, uh, you're going to want to, Make your reservations early for this long holiday weekend, even, at the Harbor 60 in the historic Toronto Harbor Commission building immediately south of the Scotiabank Arena. We had been talking with the panel in the last hour about the legalities of certain things, like uh, whether or not you know going to court to get some information or contest a case. Uh, and I really, it's beyond my pay grade to understand uh, how these things will play out or even if they're necessary. But media lawyers were in court in Superior Court here in town today trying to get information from the police unsealed as it pertains to this shooting in Greektown last month. Now, Faisal Hussain, he took his own life, so there's not much to follow up on there, except that there were wiretaps and other things that the police used to obtain information. Now the media wants to know on our behalf, and uh, there seems to be a certain lack of transparency. I'm wondering why that is and what it is that the media exactly is after. And so in that regard, I've got a legal expert here, Joe Newberger from Newberger and Partners. He's Global News Radio's legal expert, and he's going to set uh, the record straight on this. Joe, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm wonderful, John. How are you? Likewise, but uh, maybe a little bit uh, unclear as to the the whole concept of the media and their lawyers in court trying to get uh, information that the police have sealed. It's right. the information to obtain documents. Right. Uh, 
tell me the point and purpose of this whole thing that the media lawyers are searching for. Okay, so first of all, so everybody understands the police have executed some search warrants and they may have had some wiretaps up. And in order to get judicial authorization to do that, they have to file something called an information to obtain. It's like a giant affidavit from a police officer who sets out various sources of information which would provide a reasonable basis, a reasonable grounds to authorize the warrant or the intercept. Now, the media want access to the full contents of the information to obtain so that they can then let the public know what was being investigated and what the police have discovered in order to get these, uh, these authorizations. And I think that is definitely in the public interest. The competing interests here are the public's right to know, but also the protection of some privileges that may uh, result from either informer privilege or an ongoing investigation. So if an investigation is still ongoing and disclosure of the contents of this information to obtain would hamper their ability to continue this investigation, uh, then a judge may rule that it's not in uh, the, the public interest, it's not appropriate to release this information at this time. But I'm, I'm coming at this from a criminal law perspective more so than a media lawyer would. Right. Uh, let's just sort of project here what might uh, be the interest for the media, because, look, there have been narratives that have taken root, whether you call them conspiracy theories or whatever, that right. maybe, maybe it wasn't all mental illness. And uh, what was really the background? And what about the family? We haven't heard anything from the family subsequent to this uh statement that was released by a friend not really a direct member of the family that this was mental illness he suffered all his life and then case closed go away nothing more to see here it left a lot of people i think uh a little less than satisfied that we were being told everything about this so uh would that be part of the media's role here to try to find out a little more absolutely absolutely i think in this instance the media's interest is really to try and inform the public and there's a lot of questions that the public have, because when you, again, revisit this very traumatic, horrible encounter, what happened was an individual killed people, could have killed more, uh, in a very public setting where you, me, and our families could be, and this person obviously had some tactical training with a firearm. And so what other information is there? Is there truly a motivation because of a mental illness? Was there some training? Did they have a, a license to possess a gun? Uh, was there any radicalization? Who knows? We don't know. We're all guessing because we just don't know. And that's what the media is trying to do for us is get information to then inform the public. And I think that's incredibly important. And that's why media plays a very important role in our democratic society. But, you know, on the flip side is if the police are digging into something which they think will bear fruit and they don't want the information out because it will hinder that type of digging, the further investigation, then you do have this competing interest. So in my opinion, it might be worthwhile to hold off disclosure of the contents of the ITO until such time as the investigation is completed. But you, me, and everybody else right now are in the dark. We don't know what these arguments really are. Well, for example, there was one report, and I don't know if this was uh, something that was widely disseminated or if it's uh, just sort of surfaced as a rumor, but 42 kilograms of carfentanil found in the basement of the brother's home, uh, which may or may right. not have had, but, but, you know, it sort of helps to uh, maybe put some color to the narrative uh, 
is that the kind of thing that might surface through this police information if the media gets their hands on it? Oh, there's tons of information. that I mean, I, I am absolutely certain that the police have done and will be doing, if they haven't finished it, a very exhaustive uh, investigation on the family, uh, this young man who committed this horrific act, friends, uh, his social media contacts, Internet, everything. So if his brother, if family members had access to substances, to weapons, had criminal records, uh, whatever search sites this uh, guy went to, all of this information will be within the domain of the police during their investigation, and a large portion of this will be the, in the information to obtain. But that in and of itself is not the end of the story. I'm sure the police will be in possession of a vast amount of more information that may or may not be relevant, but, but would be interesting to the public. Right. And so if the media has access, we'd get the reports as soon as uh, they get their hands on it. Look, the other case is the Barry and Honey Sherman double murders. Uh, it seems, again, like the case went cold. We weren't told a lot more than, I guess, what the family themselves, by hiring a separate investigative unit, came up with. Uh, that leaves a lot of people frustrated and maybe a credibility issue with our authorities. Look, you know, there's a lot of unsolved homicides. I mean, you know, this looks like uh, if this was a, uh, you know, a planned, well-worked-out hit, um, there's a lot of those that go unsolved. I mean, there was the gentleman from the Oaks Perform Company who was murdered, and that was never solved. And so, you know, uh, many planned uh, hits go unsolved with very little information, and that's not because the police aren't doing their job and they're not trying to investigate it because there's not a lot of evidence. And in this case, there may be some evidence, but from what we've seen from the reporting, it seems to me that the police have uh, done a fairly exhaustive investigation. I'm sure Mr. Greenspan, along with whatever team he assembled, I'm, I'm sure, I think if it was Mark Mendelson on the file, who used to be a homicide detective and now an investigator, you know, I'm sure they're turning over every rock that they can to try and discover what's going on. But the reality is, sometimes there are crimes that cannot be solved because the trail runs cold and there's no other additional information. That's just the reality of life. Well, yeah, I guess uh, one of the things that has me bewildered is why the media has to go to court to obtain this information rather than the police being right. forthcoming and a phalanx of microphones and saying, here's the latest and we're going to bring you up to date. As you see, oftentimes in some of these celebrated cases stateside. Finally, Joe, I've got to ask you about this because, you know, recently we've seen cases, the Trans Mountain Pipeline ruling with the court, the Federal Court of Appeal yesterday, and then in uh, court today you had the City of Toronto, the Toronto District School Board taking the provincial government to court over the uh, City of Toronto Act, where they've lowered the number of counselors from 47 down to 25. Right. Is there a, a danger that the courts are becoming the avenue where these things get decided and maybe even subverting or subsuming the legislative branch, you know, uh, the duly yes. elected folks, uh, you know, whatever right. else one might think. I mean, we've got Doug Ford. He's a premier. He made the call. I mean, we had the prime minister and uh, everybody vetted this whole thing with the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Suddenly a court upends that. Do you see a danger here? Yeah, no, I, I think you raise a good point. You know, the, 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 the democratic po process plays out. We elect the government on a mandate that they have, you know, advertised and we want them to, uh, to get the majority and we, we want them to uh, proceed on that mandate and we don't want interference by other by other sources, which could be the, the legal branch. That being said, we always have to have checks and balances in the system, and the the uh, courts are a check on the exercise of uh, power by the state. And so, it's important to ensure that they are acting legally within 
charter principles and not um, taking steps which are really uh, beyond the law. So, uh, you know, you're dealing with two issues here, which I think, you know, the Trans-Canada Pipeline is incredibly important for a number of reasons, and, and there's economic issues and environmental issues there. But the reality is, for both of these, these are clearly issues that were forefront, well, I don't know so much about the, the city council, but they were forefront with, with election uh, advertising and, and, and uh, agendas. So I think, you know, we have to take a step back and look at it and say, you know, the government we've elected to do this, let them do it. But I don't think we should ever be worried in a democratic society that any one person uh, could take a government to court because they think their action is illegal. That's the beauty of a democratic process. That's the beauty of the country we live in, that if you are in the minority, even if you're the one person, you still have that recourse. And that's important for everybody, and that's part of the democratic process, in my humble opinion. All right, well, and it carries a lot of weight here on the Oakley Show, so we appreciate your (laughs) humble opinion, Joe. Have a great long holiday weekend, and uh, we'll talk real soon. Be well. Take care. Thank you. Joe Newberger, again, Global News Radio legal expert with Newberger and Partners here in Toronto. On the case of the uh, city being, or the city taking Doug Ford and the Ford government to court, you know, one of the interveners in the case was the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We're going to hear from their Ontario director, Christine Van Guyen. I want to hear what she has to say, what her interpretation was from the court earlier today. In a moment, then we'll get around to our friend Cam, leftovers and end cuts for Pizzaville as we head into the home stretch of the Friday edition of the Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.